Hi, I'm Caitlin Prest, and I am here in your ear to tell you about a very incredible new show called Asking For It. Asking For It is a darkly comedic series that follows a queer femme singer whose history of violence finds her no matter how many times she runs away. It has an original soundtrack, and it'll make you laugh, cry, and feel a little bit less alone. Asking for it. Subscribe now. This is a CBC Podcast. You are listening to Alone, a love story, and I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 19. So it goes. The Unicorn. The Unicorn. That's the nickname my friend Solo Time gives to the man with the white shirt. You know him. Dreamy, dreamy him. I didn't know unicorns were real. She shouts from the back seat of my car the night she first meets him. We erupt into fits of giggles as he climbs into the passenger seat beside me saying, What are you two laughing about? With such an impish fire behind his eyes. Oh, nothing, I say, smiling. And for the millionth time since we met, he says to me, I love your smile. Shut up, because I love yours. He squeezes my hand. We've known each other for one month. Okay, go ahead. I don't care. Go on. You can make gagging sounds here. Because you know what? I'm on cloud nine. He likes me, and he tells me so, out loud. It's like a fucking dream come true. For that exact reason, Dreamcatcher is the nickname my friend the Bright One gives him. My friend the Painter just calls him The Man, because a man doesn't have to play games or hide his feelings. And yet, I will admit to you, I keep waiting for the other shoe to drop. I sometimes think it's all too good to be true. What if seeming like he isn't a player is what actually makes him a player? The trusting part of me has been short-circuited by the ex-husband, and now I feel like I've lost my sense of instinct, my ability to read cues. What if he just seems like a unicorn, but is really just a pony, or whatever this metaphor is trying to say, you know what I mean? There's an undercurrent of worry of knowing the bubble is going to burst at some point, and probably soon. But I can't let this darkness get the better of me at these early stages. I actually really like this guy, and I don't want to mess it up. One day, after I express my insecurity about us, he says, Are you afraid of me just, I don't know, running screaming or something? And I tell him, yes, I'm afraid I'm too intense, too damaged, have too much baggage, I cry too much. He stops me. He holds me very close and looks right at me, hard. I like you, he says, a lot. Even the sad parts, I like you, all of you. And I just want to keep getting to know you, all of you, okay. I nod my head, and my heart feels like it's going to bust right out of my chest and bleed all over us. 
kisses and kisses me. I'm grateful, but I know better. I know in reality, I'm cautiously on cloud nine. I know that unicorns aren't real. Cautious or not, the cloud I'm floating on prevents me from seeing anyone else. I just don't want to. From the moment I meet the man with the white shirt, I don't sleep with anyone but him. Not even Revival. It's not a conscious choice, it's just what happens. I am that enthralled, that focused. It feels like magic. What magic feels like. The man with the white shirt sits on the edge of my bathtub while I fix my hair in the mirror. He has my guitar and he's singing to me as I get ready. It's like I invented this man, like I conjured him or something. He's so exactly what I need and want in my life right now. And then he starts singing a song I just love, The Messenger by Daniel Lanois. When he gets to my favorite line, it makes me tremble. I feel like a piñata. Oh, the door that closes tightly is the door that can swing wide. My kindred spirit brought to me from an unknown cloud. His eyes lock to mine. He finishes the song and puts the guitar aside. We lie down on the cool tiles and kiss, and I'm sure there's never been anyone who gets me like he does. We understand each other on a level that I've never experienced. I'm sure that we need each other that we've been given this magical gift for a reason. You have such a summertime way of smiling, he says to me, and my heart grows 50 sizes. Art. Lately, I've been having an artistic renaissance. Singing, playing guitar, drawing, a lot. Somewhere in the short time since I met the man with the white shirt, I started drawing trees. Tall and bare, branches reaching out and over crazy little buildings cityscapes of strange futures where trees are ten times bigger than skyscrapers. The drawings aren't all that great or anything, but I love doing them. I lose myself for hours, listening to music, feeling the smooth run of marker on paper, letting whatever thoughts I have come in and out of my mind, enjoying for the first time small moments alone. 
It's been happening lately. A return to self. A return to a part of me that was dormant for so long, especially when I was in a busy house with a small baby. There was hardly any room for art back then. But here, with 50% of my time free, despite how awful and scary and hard it's been to be away from Birdie, to be a woman without her little family, here is where the old me starts to seep its way in. Here is where I draw crazy trees. Where I sing songs with friends or with white shirt or just with myself, playing guitar so much I develop calluses on my fingers, like the ones that were always there back in my 20s. Here is the first faint glimmer of a silver lining. The Red Hills. The single happiest day of my life, since the bomb, happens a month and a half after I meet the man with the white shirt. Although it's the end of September, it's as hot as a summer day. We're both wearing t-shirts and jeans and big vintage sunglasses and white sneakers. Even the way we look together feels magical to me. I pick him up and his dog and we go for a drive. I don't tell him where we're going, just that it's a special place I haven't been to since I was a teenager. I'm not entirely sure it exists still, or even how to get there, but that's all part of the fun. We leave the city behind and head out to the country, northwest of Toronto, driving along winding roads with the windows down. He picks songs off my iPod, and it's like all my dreams are realized. The way the trees sway against the blue sky, the warm air on our skin, our smiles as we discover how much the same music we love. No other day has come even close to being as wonderful and fun and special and fulfilling as the one where White Shirt is smiling that 50-watt smile at me as I drive us to the Red Hills. The Red Hills are exactly what they sound like. Red Earth. Terracotta. It just appears in one part of southern Ontario in a crazy, bumpy, beautiful way on the side of a winding country road. As teenagers, we'd drive out to the hills for bush parties. These parties were really just drunken kids running up and down the hills, making out and getting lost. I never actually saw it in the daytime. Here we are, though, 20 years later parking the car on the side of the road. I take his hand, and he takes the dog's leash, and we walk to the crest of the hill. That's when he finally sees it, and the look on his face is just pure wonder. It's a beautiful thing to behold. His face, I mean, but yes, of course, also this natural wonder that is the Red Hills. We walk around and talk and explore and get two young girls to take a photo of us. Then we take some selfies, These are still my most favorite photos of us. He still has one of them framed on his desk at home, where he makes music and lives his life, with or without me.
Hey, Leah. Hey, Fallon. And hey, listeners. Uh, We are the hosts of a podcast called The Secret Life of Canada. We are a history podcast. Yeah, and we've covered topics, things like the gold rush or the bay blanket. Yes. Kind of unconventional stories, though, that you might have missed in your Canadian history class. So we're here to uncover those secrets. That's right. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. After we explore the hills, we get back in the car and I drive us to a little town I know that's nestled in, high up some windy roads. It's during this car ride that I tell him I have MS. He says he noticed I take a lot of pills and wonders why, but instead of lying, I just tell him the truth. And for a moment, I hold my breath. I'm certain I will lose him immediately. But he's so kind. He doesn't make a big deal about it at all, not then or any time after. It was like the greatest weight was lifted off of me that day, telling him that. When we get to the little town, we walk along holding hands in the bright, hot sun. We get coffee and ice cream and sit on a bench. And that's when he asks when he'll be able to meet Bertie. I swoon a little. It also scares the shit out of me. And then he goes even further, saying that if it would help, he'd be happy to meet her father first. I'm floored. I don't know what to say other than how that wouldn't be necessary. I say it would have to be pretty serious for me to introduce someone to her, and I'm not ready for him to meet her just yet. But inside I'm freaking out. This is a real thing. He's like my actual boyfriend. Praying the rosary worked. Holy shit. The perfect day continues with vintage shopping where we like all the same things. And I buy us both so many of those things. Plates, glasses, shoes. As we drive back to the city... He falls asleep in the passenger seat beside me. I hold his hand in mine and try to push the thoughts out that this is all too good to be true. I try to hold on to this feeling, this simple, beautiful day. Too good to be true. We're sitting on a park bench holding hands, his eyes so sad. It turns out that despite our deep connection, despite my summertime way of smiling, how crazy he acts for me, how different he says he feels about me, the man with the white shirt is still sleeping with other women. He always will. That's something I can't change, he says, as if he's talking about a scar or an extra finger, not something he has free will over, something he can choose or not choose to do. I don't get it. It's been almost three months since we first met, and we've been inseparable since the beginning. I mean, we talk on the phone almost every night, don't we? More than once now, he's asked about when he can meet my daughter. 
We hold hands in public, walking along like couples do. And yet, here is the shoe dropping. He was too good to be true. My mind races. Walk. Walk now. If you stay, you'll only get more attached. It will only get harder. But then I think, God, I want to keep seeing him, though. He's the closest thing I've had to a boyfriend, and I like this feeling. I like the way he makes me feel. His face says he doesn't want to lose me, and my mind whips back again. The cake! The cake! I'm always the fucking cake! Don't be the cake again! You act so boyfriendy, though, is what I managed to say to him, like I'm Drew Barrymore in a fucking rom-com. He says, I don't know what that means. I don't really believe in categories. I roll my eyes and say, of course you don't, because truly in that moment, I'm exasperated by the whole bohemian thing he has going on. What seemed adorable and idiosyncratic about him up until this point now feels put on and exhausting. I have no clue what to do. The relationship's still new. It's not anything serious, right? Maybe I just keep seeing him and see what happens. But the news that he doesn't believe in categories sits with me, hard like a heavy stone, somewhere just under my heart. My heart, which during this conversation has slowly started to put up a small wall around itself, a nice protective layer. It's the wall that says, don't be the cake again. The wall that says, Jesus Christ, doesn't anybody believe in monogamy anymore? The wall that says, oh well, back to square one. Stupid wall. Do you hold hands with these other women? No, he says, like I'm crazy. Do you talk to them on the phone every night? Do you feel about them the way you feel about me? Do you just say these things to me because that's what you say to everyone? He answers an emphatic no to each of my questions. He says, there's nobody like you. I don't feel this way or act this way with anyone but you. I haven't in a long time. So what's the problem, I say. I also have casual relationships, but I can let them all go at any moment. I don't care. It isn't like that, he says, trying to explain his theory of life and love to me. I just think people should be able to sleep with whoever they want, if they want to. My heart sinks. I get it. But I also don't get it, get it. I mean, sure, monogamy is a construct, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not asking him to marry me. Just be exclusive with me while we're dating. God. I just thought he was my boyfriend. Mine. Possessive. How positively mainstream of me. In a few days, I'm going to turn 39. I can't believe I'm even having this conversation with a man my own age. With a man who's basically been perfect in every way until now. A man that's been more of a boyfriend to me than some people's actual boyfriends are. It's so fucking confusing. I don't make a decision. I can't. All I keep thinking about is my birthday party coming up in a few days. 
The one where I invited all my oldest and dearest friends so they could meet my new boyfriend. We stand on a street corner near Birdie's school and say goodbye. His face so sad, I can't even comprehend it. I say, see you in a few days. And he says, okay. We stand there for a long time, just looking directly into each other's eyes. I turn around and head into the school, my heart like a deflated balloon after the world's best party. The next day, to ease the sadness, the immense jealousy I feel, the confusion, I fall back on the familiar, comfortable, and unbelievably satisfying revival who's happy to make his return after the three-month hiatus. Been a while since I've seen you, he says as he walks in my door with that swagger. Yep, I answer, and that's all we say on the matter falling into each other's arms like no time has passed, like no other lives are lived, like there's only this moment, this time and place which has no tie to anything or anyone before or after it. So this is what everyone wants? This is what's so great? Moments? It isn't long before I send the matchmaker an email with the subject header. I'm back on the market. She replies, Bummer, my friend, back in the saddle. And I say my favorite thing to say when there's nothing else to say. Stolen words from a favorite author. So it goes. Because really, so it goes. You're listening to Alone, a love story, written by me, Michelle Parisi. It's a CBC original podcast. The story editor is Veronica Simmons. Alone is mixed and produced by me and Veronica in our hometown of Toronto. I've got a lot more to share with you at cbc.ca slash alone. The stories behind the story I'm telling, photos, and a lot about music. Stick with me. I want to tell you about the last time. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.